Welcome to you, Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. I am Brian Peacock alongside the scout, Matt Williamson, and it is over. The NFL Draft 2020 in the books, in the rearview mirror. So what is there to do? Well, we've got to break down every single team's draft hall. We're going to get into every pick, every team, division by division here on the show um, by the way, if you ever want to get involved here and get involved in our Twitter Thursday episodes, you can always tweet at me at BD Peacock. Matt is at Williamson NFL. And of course, you can find this podcast just like every show on the Locked On Podcast Network on all of your favorite podcast apps. Tell a friend about this show. Let them know their team is covered daily here on the network. It's done, Matt. Any big takeaways here? There's some news to get to before we talk a division-by-division breakdowns with these prospects and and all of the hauls that happen with every team in the NFL, but some other news and some other players signing, and uh, we've got to talk about those. But just overall, quick, before we get to that, how did you feel about the presentation, the overall draft of 2020, as this um, at-home virtual version that we went through? Yeah, and right after the draft, I always have a bit of a draft hangover. You know, to be very honest, and I don't mean to bring the mood down. I mean, it was a, I really look forward to the draft, but this year now I go, Hmm, what's next? You know, it's usually by this time in a couple of weeks, I'm down to Steeler offices and their rookies are in and they're doing rookie mini camp right in front of me. So, you know, you're, you're seeing football, but I I feel optimistic that we will have football this year, but for a while now we got a little bit of a lull and, you know, right after this draft, I feel that hangover effect where I kind of want to take a step away from football, watch a movie and, you know, see the fam again, because <laughs> I was on the air for 20 hours on Steeler Nation Radio, the Steelers radio network. And it's just a lot. You know, I mean, I got home at like one in the morning a couple of times. And so I'll be a little more refreshed in a few days. But as it stands right now, I feel like I've kind of gone a couple a couple <laughs> a couple uh, rounds with a heavyweight. Absolutely. Yeah. And I got so deep into this thing and you're watching so many prospects and so many players and talking about everything and then it happens like, okay, wow, that was done now. And I do this thing. I don't know if this is just me, but I, I put so many teams with so many prospects pre-draft. I have to continually remind myself where all the prospects actually went because I still picture the guys, (laughs) the, the perfect fits I thought were there. I still picture the wrong prospects now on the new teams because I had them, I had them so locked into a certain franchise in a certain uniform I have to relearn now everything and, and relearn the league about where everybody landed yeah oh absolutely and that goes all the way through the draft like a perfect example even is oh yeah Isaiah Simmons is a cardinal I didn't see that coming I, <laughs> right. I can't even picture him in that uniform right exactly. now you know but yeah. it, it's a great example because we've done so many mocks and so much top of the draft stuff and then just in terms of my day you know if I had an extra 20 minutes between projects or before dinner or before I had to go somewhere or whatever I'll watch or read about, you can always watch another prospect. Yes. You know what I mean? There's, there's no, it's not like, boy, the job is done. I have no one else to watch or learn about. I can always check out the 30th corner on Dane Brugler's board. And now it's like, well, I mean, I'll, I'll pretty soon I'll know where they all landed like the back of my hand, but now what? And that's part of what we're going to do here for everybody else out there yeah. listening is go through all these prospects and teams and, and remind everybody where these players landed. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And I have some thoughts on some of my favorite drafts and some of my least favorite drafts. Uh, There's a little bit of other news, uh, some trades and signings that happened over the weekend that we should cover first. And James, before we do, you asked me a question. I didn't answer. How did you think the coverage was? Because like I said, I was on the air 
And it was the TV was in front of me, but it was muted the whole time because I'm on the radio. So it looked like it went well. I thought it was cool to look into everyone's homes and I, I wish I was, you know, best friends with the Kingsbury family. And, you know, I mean, like there were some <laughs> cool things like that. And I'm sure there's some ideas they'll take going forward. But did it go well? Did it you know, present to you the way you wanted to see it? It went pretty well. Yeah, I think they did as good of a job as they could have with what they were given to work with. And it was kind of cool to see families working behind the scenes and see people at home. And, you know, it was almost a little bit refreshing because it was a little bit different, maybe not as slick of production as the NFL draft usually is. And one thing that kept getting me, though, is the way they were flashing to prospects. So a team would be on the clock and then they would show a prospect on a couch and put the prospect's name. But then next to the prospect's name, it said the pick is in for the team. So I kept thinking a player was getting drafted by a team, but the pick hadn't been announced and it wasn't that. They were just showing prospects that maybe could be the guy Uh, getting drafted. So I kept getting tricked into thinking the pick was in and it was the prospect they were showing, but they were just showing a random prospect at that point and it wasn't actually the pick. So that's one thing that was that drove me crazy. I had to get used to throughout the first round. Okay. My, my one pet peeve that I was hoping that, that every year I complain about is they'll show it's either NFL Network or ESPN. They're both to blame. They'll, they'll show a top prospect and they show like four plays of the guy. And you see the exact four plays for the month leading up to the draft. I mean, it's all path that the draft has. <laughs> yeah. It's all the covers they have. Like, I-, I saw Derek Brown blowing up that lineman. I mean, yep. can't you show me something different? And I thought because they would be hurting for stuff, we might see 20 plays of a guy as opposed to four or whatever. And that didn't seem to come around. <laughs> yeah, it's always. And it's the it's the music in the background, the pre-produced right. pieces, and it's the same clips over and over. Yeah, the one where uh, Derek Brown goes Superman and flies over the blocker to get the quarterback or the running back or whoever it is on that one play. Yeah. Uh, I saw yeah. a lot of those that, that is a pet peeve of mine. They've done a lot better job though, of not ruining the picks, not showing the guy who's yes. getting the call and getting drafted, which is great because that's the most it's important not on Twitter 10 minutes before. And yeah. You know, right. Yeah, exactly. So they did a good job there and Twitter was ruining some picks. So I stopped watching or I got off Twitter originally, but then once I got to day through day two and day three, it was happening faster. So Twitter wasn't ruining that much. And at that point, it was kind of better if you were getting the information as it was coming in. So it wasn't as important, but um, overall, I think they did a pretty good job. So kudos to those people that were, uh, that were put in an awkward situation to tr- try to produce a draft show. And I think it turned out pretty well. The the Goodell stuff, he, he could have had less screen time, I think. And they tried to do the booze thing and it didn't, you know, just, I, I missed those initial booze when he steps up the very first time to the podium. That was empty for me. That, that didn't work. And then they tried to, mimic it later with him talking to the people on the screen behind him. Some of that was unnecessary and it was, but it was funny to see Goodell start to just like kick it on the couch and be, you know, maybe a little bit, uh, imbibed at some point too, <laughs> just going yeah, through this, yeah. the marathon. It, it was like three stages of Goodell. Like first round was, you know, pretty formal in his room. And then he'd go to his big chair and look like he should have a, a brandy and a cigar and look like he should be the host of masterpiece theater or something. And then you see him in a t-shirt. It's like, wow, I didn't know he owned any of those. I want to start with the NFC East. we got to get to the divisions here uh, because I think there were some interesting drafts in the NFC East. So we'll start there and then we'll work our way west in the NFL. Uh, Real quick, though, a couple of new faces in new places. Jameis Winston signed with the New Orleans Saints and uh, Trent Williams, the trade. The 49ers, um, Joe Staley, announced his retirement uh, on day three of the draft Saturday. And they quickly made a trade. They already knew that that was going to happen. So I'm sure they had this all planned out and, and were working hard on day two and they didn't have picks, but uh, they were able to swing a trade with Washington. 
a, a current, it was the fifth rounder this year, one of their fifth rounders this year, and a future third for Trent Williams. So they replaced Joe Staley with the best possible veteran left tackle. Yeah, I want to start with the Saints and then get to your team in a second. I like both these moves a lot. Um, we're not going to review the Saints draft today, but they had basically three picks, and then they traded back in to take a quarterback at 240 overall. So they're all about quality, obviously, and they put a high precedence on their backup quarterback, I think the more than any team in the league. I mean, they gave Teddy Bridgewater big money in the past. Um they're for very, I mean, Sean Payton played against Winston, Winston's entire career. So I think this is a great landing spot. I'm happy for Winston. I'm not certain that he isn't the Saints next quarterback too. I mean, I would love to see, I, I'm, I'm a Winston apologist. So I would, I, I don't want Drew Brees to get hurt, but boy, would it be interesting if he did. <laughs> I mean, I, Winston in that offense with it's that well constructed, once he's comfortable, we might look at him and be like, this guy's a pro bowler. You know, I mean, I just think the coaching could go a really long way and what a spot to land for him. And I saw some PFF stats on Winston today that were uh, it was, essentially he had some of the the best throws. He was among the 20 percent, the, the highest 20 percent and the worst 20 percent in in throws like so hmm. turnover worthy plays. He was very high, you know, and and big time throws. He was very high in both of those, and there was only nine, I think, such seasons over the course of the last, basically since Winston's been in the league. There's been nine such seasons that a quarterback was in the top twenty of both sides of that, and four of them were Jameis Winston. Well, that certainly plays out. I remember right. that that metric I kind of constructed about uh, completion percentage times average depth of target. But yeah, Winston was at the top of the list. The Saints' two quarterbacks were at the bottom of the list. So if he goes there and learns to dump it to Kamara and, you know, play a little bit of small ball, I'm pretty intrigued. And then take the chances when they're there. I mean, that's yeah. that's a Pro Bowl quarterback. You're right. Yeah. And, uh, let's talk about your, the tackle situation, too. Yeah. I think Staley's a borderline Hall of Famer, and I think Williams is even better, <laughs> to be very honest. But we haven't seen Williams in a while. So I just don't know. I mean, but I think that's a potential upgrade. Yeah, will there be rust there if there's not a lot of rust? And, and who knows, maybe there's a little bit of rust, but then there's a completely healthy player. So maybe, you know, there's some mm -hmm. give and take there as far as the player you're getting now. But the last time we saw Trent Williams, he was probably the best left tackle in the league. So it's, it's crazy to think that a, a potential Hall of Fame left tackle leaves and then you get a guy who's even better potentially replacing right. him. And, you know, he's got a few years left in him. He's three years younger than Joe Staley. So uh, we'll see what they get in Trent Williams. But for what they ended up paying versus what it, the, the Washington Redskins were asking all this time for Trent Williams, uh, it was a huge win for the 49ers to be able to replace Staley with Williams. Yeah, it's been a really good offseason for them as well. And then along those lines, I mean, the two most likely to get traded, Trent Williams and the Jags didn't move Yannick Ndokwe, even though they drafted yeah. an edge guy. Like, man, I just feel like they're not going to get much value. Very much a win-now mode for the 49ers, too, with mm -hmm. all the moves they did. The 49ers traded all their picks. They didn't draft one spot or, that they originally had a draft pick in for 2020, which is interesting. So competitive John Lynch, and, and they're definitely in win-now mode. You can see it with all the moves they pulled over the weekend. But we're not talking NFC West. We're not talking 49ers. Let's get into the NFC East and check in on how those teams did in the 2020 NFL Draft. From an early morning breakfast burrito to a 12-pack of beers while you watch the game, sometimes you just need 
what you need delivered fast. And yeah, getting those beverages on top of dinner is key. And if you're like me, you probably start thinking about what you want to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. You love food. That's why you'll love Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant I can think of right to my door. But Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make life easier with grocery deliveries, convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. So no more trips to the store, which is so key right now. No more late night fast food runs. You don't have to worry about where you're going to grab lunch. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android. Find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDONNFL. That's code LOCKEDONNFL for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. I'd like to start with the Dallas Cowboys, if you're okay with that, Matt, because yeah. I think they had one of my highest graded drafts, and, and I have some um, some ideas about this division, but I want to start with the Cowboys because of how well I think the board fell for them, and it's not so much that they did anything great, except they didn't screw it up. They allowed the draft to come to them, and they had value in almost every single round, and it started at the top with C.D. Lamb. We talked about that last week, how it's one of the you know the biggest steals of the first round, where they got a guy who was one of the blue chippers in our top 16. Uh, there's our sweet 16, we were calling it, in this draft, and he fell to them at 17. They got themselves maybe the best receiver in the draft. Uh, he was you know top two on almost every single person's board uh, to go with what they already have there at wide receiver, which is nice. Then they got another value in the second round with Trayvon Diggs, another value again with Neville Gallimore in the middle of the third round, Reggie Robinson the second out of Tulsa, cornerback in round four, who I like. Tyler Biotish in round four, Bradley and I, people were talking about him in the top 50 of this draft. They got him in the fifth round under athletic, but a try hard guy that will just keep coming and keep coming off the edge that should be able to be a, a rotational pass rusher for them. And uh, the only player that I don't know about value was their seventh rounder, because um, to be honest with you, I didn't know what a Ben Naducci or a Ben Denucci <laughs> was quarterback out of James Madison, but a seventh rounder, see if they got there uh, at quarterback, but a fantastic haul, I think for the Cowboys. Yeah, I would give this a very high grade. Uh, we did talk about Lamb. I absolutely thought this was going to be maybe a center, but defense, 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 and a gift fell in their lap, and they decided to open it instead of passing it to the next team and grab C.D. Lamb. They're going to compete for the best offense in the league. Uh, you mentioned Tyler Biadish at 146 overall. If he if you get the two year ago version of him, you would have never got him in the second round. So if he's healthy, they may have stolen a guy, um, and then the rest was defense. And from what I understand, and sometimes these can, things get a little overblown post draft. You know, we had first round grades on everybody. You know, yeah. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I from what I, I thought, from what people told me was they were thinking Diggs was a real possibility at seventeen. You know that. Uh, oh, we're out of the top 16. We're going to have to be that team that takes the third corner. H you know, his tape is probably the third best, and he didn't run at all, and people didn't know what speed, so he fell to them. It's exactly what they needed. And then Gallimore and Robinson are also good good value, along with an eye, like you mentioned. I mean, he probably won't play a ton of snaps, and I'm sure he'll be an awesome special teamer, but if he rushes off the edge 10 times a game, great. He's a different type of guy. 
one of and we're not really giving out letter grades here i don't know if unless yeah. you want to give out letter grades but um no, i'm cool without it but clearly i think it was just one of the one of the better drafts and it starts at the top and if if lamb is good as i think he is and then you get the rest of that value that i talked about throughout the rest of the draft uh a starting level cornerback i mean just a fantastic haul there for the cowboys and they were already a really good team so they've got right. to stop underachieving and I think that draft hall will be big on allowing them to do so. One thing we didn't talk about at the top that I wanted to ask you, and it kind of goes into some of the draft picks we've seen here and some of the the early round picks at least, and there's no rookie mini camps. These guys aren't going to get on the field immediately with their teams. I'm sure they're getting some form of playbook, and they're going to have to study and work out on their own. And there is some uh, mini camp. I can't remember how exactly they're doing it with the offseason program. So there is some kind of a program. It's just not really together on field work. Do you think it really, really helps even more than normal for some prospects that are a little bit more polished, more finished products to be able to come in and play early and some of the boomer bust type guys might see even more bust factors from this year's draft? Yeah, uh, probably, especially rookie years or beginning of the seasons. Um, I think that, you know, we haven't talked since after the first round, like there was only one quarterback taken on the second day. And my thoughts after that were, well, if you were going to plan on thinking, if you had a second or third round grade on a quarterback, you would have sure liked to have brought him in your building, you know, and maybe you'll just do go down that route next year when you, when you have a better profile on those guys. And even like a small example, like I, I said, all the Steeler coverage I did, like we, we threw out the idea, like I thought the Steelers could use a punter and I thought, why not use a seventh round pick on a punter as opposed to that poor guy that's a seventh round pick, Ben Naducci. Like Ben Naducci yeah. behind the eight ball, <laughs> you know, where right. if I draft a punter in the seventh round, he's going to make the team. He's going to punt, just go on the third field while the defense is on one field, the offense is on the other, and I'll save money and cut my veteran punter. You know what I mean? Like right. those, those guys at the bottom of the draft are behind the eight ball, but at least rosters are a little bigger. So that helps. And, you know, uh, same with practice squads being bigger. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Especially those those positions like quarterback and wide receiver, the ones that right. notoriously take a little bit longer to develop and there's more to learn from the neck up and you get into these NFL playbooks. I think those are going to be a little bit tougher for rookies to break out this year. So uh, we'll see. Anyway, well, we got to move on to the New York Giants here. And they really focused on defensive backs and offensive tackles early. They went high upside and they went a little bit safe. They went with the safe guys early. It was Andrew Thomas at pick four left tackle from Georgia. Then Xavier McKinney fell to him with the fourth pick in the second round out of Alabama. Then it was Matt Pert, who is a high upside, low floor, really athletic, really long offensive tackle from UConn. They drafted him late in round three and then came back with Darnay Holmes, cornerback from UCLA in round four. Uh, Shane Lemieux was their fifth round selection. They had a bunch of draft picks, by the way, especially on day yeah. three. Uh, fifth rounder Shane Lemieux, offensive lineman from Oregon. Cam Brown, Penn State, outside linebacker in round six. And then four seventh rounders, Carter Coughlin from Minnesota, outside linebacker. TJ Brunson, South Carolina, inside linebacker. Uh, Chris Williamson from Minnesota, another corner their third no defensive back. Uh, no, okay, <laughs> I was going to ask. Uh, <laughs> luckily for him, this is the, this is the athletic right. Williamson clan. Um, and then uh, Tay Crowder, the final pick for the New York Giants out of Georgia, another inside linebacker. So four linebackers, three defensive backs, and three offensive linemen in this New York Giants 2020 class. Those last four names you mentioned, I don't know a lot about, but their head coach has a massive special teams background and use a seventh-round pick on a light edge, two linebackers in a corner. That sure screams Patriot 
special teams boost. Mm. You know, that, I mean, that's sure. I bet Joe Judge is all over that pick. And I've mentioned before, I, I write a couple articles a month for Big Blue View, which is a Giants site on SB Nation. And they had me go to one of these mock draft machines, you know, on the internet. And I, I did a mock draft for the Giants, and I end up going tackle. I, I took Wills, and then I took Delpit, and then I took Pert. So there you go. I, I was like, wow, this is exactly how I would have done it. And I think it's great intuition, obviously. You know, you get your, your big right <laughs> tackle to start now, and you hopefully have a solder replacement to groom with the third-round pick. That really could complete your line and really complete the offense. And, you know, Lemieux's a nice mix in there, too. He's a big brawler. That's what they want at the guard position. And then I thought Darnay Holmes was a nice pick, too, at 110. So good work. Thomas wouldn't have been my tackle, but fine. I mean, any other year, if you use the fourth pick on Andrew Thomas, I wouldn't complain. So I like the way – I like the makeup of the draft. And again, I talked about players that could play early, and I think McKinney and Thomas would mm-hmm. be two guys that you could really plug in, even if there's a, a muted training camp and a muted, and there already is a muted um, off-season program here. So those types of players might still be able to get on the field and compete early where some of the other picks like Pert and some other guys maybe might not. And actually, Lemieux played a lot of football for Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. So there's, you know, it's a good rookie class here. What, what So they helped... Daniel Jones on one one side, they helped protect him. They got three offensive linemen, zero pass catchers though in this New York Giants class. Yeah, but I think the receivers are okay. You know, I th- I think Slayton was a find. Ingram wasn't healthy that much last year. I can live with their receivers. Um, quick question for you though. This is why I took Delpit over McKinney. Do you think McKinney and Jabril Peppers are a little redundant? I think so, but I also think that Jabril Peppers isn't ever going to live up to his lofty mm-hmm. draft status. So at that point, I don't think it matters. And I think that McKinney is, while he's not a wowing physical player, I think you could play him as long as you're playing you know, more too high looks. You could play him at free safety. You could play him at strong safety. So at that point, I don't think it's super redundant because uh, you know Peppers is athletic enough to maybe do both as well. So um, some redundancy in, in how they are as players, and maybe that's just because that's the style of player the Giants like at safety, yeah. but I think it's okay to play them together too. Yeah, I, I do too in the end. Uh, I just... I would have preferred a deep middle guy, but I'm nitpicking a little bit. No, I I totally agree. And I could that I could absolutely see Delpit have been and Delpit went just a couple picks later, right? To the Browns. He's a Brown. I I think he did go a handful of picks after that because there was that run on safeties at that point. We've got to finish up the NFC East with the Philadelphia Eagles and Washington Redskins. Very interesting draft class in Philadelphia. The biggest takeaway, the easiest takeaway, is by far there was one clear need that Howie Roseman wanted to address in this draft, and he even did it by trading for a veteran in Marquise Goodwin, but that was speed. The speed, speed, and more speed. He he came away with four wide receivers after the draft, one of them a veteran in Marquise Goodwin, one of the fastest men in the NFL, who ran a 4-2-7 coming out of Texas a while back. Jalen Rager... 447 at the combine, but apparently uh, he and his agents and everybody claims it was a 42 at his pro day. John Hightower ran a 443. Quez Watkins ran 435. And then even at linebacker, uh, Davion Taylor, 449 at six feet, 228 pounds. And then Sean Bradley ran a 451 at 6'1 and 235 pounds. So not only wide receiver speed, but uh, speed on defense as well. 
Yeah, that's a great point, and it's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, even Jack Driscoll runs well for a lineman. I mean, he's not going to play right now. Obviously, Jalen Hurts runs well for a quarterback, and um, I know a lot of Eagles fans were unhappy with Rager over Jefferson. I think in the end, they'll be ecstatic, and, you know, clearly they're looking for the Deshaun Jackson mold, and they have tight ends for the middle of the field and possession stuff, and Alshon. I mean, they need speed, and Wentz is a deep ball, aggressive thrower. Um, I don't like the Hurts pick. I, I wasn't high on Hurts to begin with, but I recognize that this is an analytically driven team, and quarterbacks are never a bad investment when you just think about the economics of it. And Wentz has hurt a lot. I mean, as much as I love Wentz, I can't ignore that. I thought the Taylor pick made a lot of sense. They can bring him along slow. It's all about speed on the second level. Kayvon Wallace might have been my favorite pick in the draft for them. I think he's a really good player. Just he could be a slot. I think he'll be their Malcolm Jenkins, come to think of it. I mean, I think he'll do it all in time. Comes from a big organization. You mentioned Driscoll. And, you know, even like Prince Tego Wanongu. I mean, I don't know why he fell. Some people thought he might be a second or third rounder. I bet he has a medical we don't know about, but it is medical. Yeah, that, it's medical, medical with Prince Tega. I think we saw a bunch of those players on day three get drafted that maybe in other years, if they would have been able to have that recheck, could have gone on day two of the draft. And I think Prince yeah. Tega Winogo is one of those guys. So uh, I love that. He falls all the way to the sixth round. It's like maybe they're, maybe the medical is not even a bad and you, you got an extra day two guy there. So um, and maybe he may be you hit a home run feet, there. Right. And when you have that many, you have three six round picks, you know, go for it. Draft a 4-3 speed wide receiver. See what he turns into. Draft um, Prince Tiga, who's got some injury concerns and, and people allowed him to fall. Maybe you get a starting caliber offensive lineman there. So I love that from them. And I love that you have a need. I've talked about this before where and the Packers did it a couple years ago. Uh, there's some other teams that are drawn a blank. But you have a, a real big position need. Draft two, draft three of those in a draft because you know it's a 50% hit rate anyway. So improve your chances of finding the need, finding that player that you're really trying to hit on uh, rather than to hit on everything at once. And so for the Eagles, one thing's clear, they got a receiver that can play with speed, even if one or two of them doesn't hit. Yeah. And they had 10 picks and not a team that's loaded with need. So let's knock out our number one need. You know, you entered the season with a big need at corner. You traded for Slay. Uh, you pick up Hargrave to put next to Cox. Great. You know, and well, we really need to get that speed receiver. Well, they're going to get one of them at least. You touched on Hertz for a second. What do you think is the, what do you think is the, the plan there? Is it just straight up? They're like, okay, our quarterback gets hurt a lot. We want to develop a good backup. Do you think they see some other plans on how to get him on the field? Maybe, but if you draft a quarterback in the second round, you expect to draft a starting caliber signal caller. So what do you think their line of thinking was to draft a quarterback that high? Because a lot of Eagles fans were, some were shocked, some were just straight up angry about that selection. Yeah. And I get that picked. I mean, I would be angry too, if I'm trying to win now, I hope they look at it this way, that he's a good athlete, but he's not Taysom Hill. You know, let's not get him on the field with Wentz. I don't need a Jalen Hurts package. You know, uh, I don't, I just don't think he's athletic enough for that. I think he's more Dak Prescott, or I'm not even sure he's the athlete Josh Allen is. You know, if you were drafted one of those two in the second round when they're coming out, would you put a specific package in just for that? I don't think. Um, but I think that they probably love his makeup, his mentality, his toughness. And Wentz has a lot of that as well. 
I hope they just put him on the bench as a reserve and try to bring him along slowly. And maybe a year from now, they can turn him into a first round pick to another team. Or if Wentz can, you know, just can't continue to stay on the field, they've developed a really good backup or, you know, I mean, a quality player, which a lot of people thought he'd be. You know, no one's shocked that he went 53rd overall. I think they're shocked where he landed. How did you feel overall about that draft for Philly? Would, would you give them a, a high grade, sort of like, okay, good, you you hit some of your needs, you you found some speed, but not sure about the quarterback? How excited are you about that draft overall? I'm a huge Rager fan, though. I'm not sure I stressed that enough. I mean, I think he was probably my fourth or fifth favorite receiver in this draft, right outside the big three. So that holds a lot of weight. I love the idea of, you know, the two trends that you brought up, speed, and finding that speed receiver. I mean, they had, it looks like two very strong themes for those couple days, and they nailed it. So I'm, I'm in. I, I think they did well. Let's move on to the Washington Redskins, who had the number two overall pick in the draft and took Chase Young, who looks to be a stud in the making at defensive end out of Ohio State. They went in to um, the second day without a second-round pick. They had traded that away to the Indianapolis Colts. They drafted... Antonio Gibson, the running back slash wide receiver. It looks like they're going to try him at wide receiver, most likely there in uh, in Washington. Don't know. I haven't heard. I don't know if you've heard about how they're going to utilize Antonio Gibson there, but it seems like maybe wide receiver. Uh, they sure drafted, makes more sense yeah. when you have Geis and Peterson. I mean, the guys they have, yeah. I would think there's more of a gap at the receiver position, but they did draft Gandy Golden, too, who has a little shock lasted to 142. Yeah, Gandy Golden, the 36th pick in round four, uh, earlier in round four, right as that trade was being announced of Trent Williams going to San Francisco, they drafted another offensive tackle, Sadiq Charles, Charles out of LSU. Uh, they With the 49ers pick they got this year in the fifth round, they took another offensive lineman center out of San Diego State, Keith, Keith Ishmael. Uh, Kaliki mm-hmm. Hudson in the fifth round out of Michigan outside linebacker. Cameron Curl, safety from Arkansas in round seven, and James Smith-Williams, who blew up the combine but does not have the greatest tape as a pass rusher defensive end out of North Carolina State to finish it up in round seven. Similar to last draft that we talked about, or, or the Giants draft, where these last three picks, especially Hudson and Curl, scream special teams, and I think Rivera's coming in there and wants to build the entire roster, even the bottom portions. Um, you mentioned Smith-Williams. Really good combine tester. Yeah, maybe he develops into something, but Edge is probably the last thing they need after grabbing Chase Young and the dudes they already have. But uh, make your bones on special teams. Roll the dice. There's upside there. I think he has some off-the-field stuff. I know Shadiq Charles has some off-the-field stuff. So this hasn't been a team that's afraid to go down that road. We'll just leave it at that. I'm cool with Gibson at 66, you know, in a vacuum, and I'm super cool with Chase Young at two. I just thought maybe this was a team that could use a more stable weapon, you know, to not a, they don't need the, the peripheral player. They need a fastball. You know I mean? They, they need a guy that I can, I can trust. Maybe they like those young receivers more than I do and feel comfortable bringing Gibson along slow. And, and that's fine. And I mentioned Gandy golden being a, a nice pickup where they got him. I was shocked. He last long and you know, the new Trent Williams is on his way out. Shadiq Charles is either going to be a slightly undersized tackle or a guard. Their line could use that. And Ishmael was one of my faves. I, I thought Ishmael was going to be also a higher pick. Center guard versatility. At a minimum, he's your interior swing man. But I, I think he may pay off for them. 
Yeah, I think there's some hit or miss on day three. Sadiq Charles will probably end up playing. I like him at guard because of his movement skills, and he's a little bit shorter yeah. armed, and uh, we'll see what those off-field concerns works. I think he definitely would have been a top 100 player, if not for some of that stuff, even though I don't know exactly uh, how bad some of those red flags are off the field, but I think that's clearly why he fell to day three with uh, what sort of physical attributes he has because that guy, he can fly out of his stance and has such lateral agility for how uh, big he is. He just lacks the length you would expect for a starting offensive tackle. So I have to guess he would be a guard, but maybe he does get a shot at tackle. Uh, but I don't like the Antonio Gibson pick because I thought Antonio Gibson's stock got out of hand. I loved him when he was a fifth rounder, right? And then he goes to the senior bowl, then he goes to the combine. It's like, wait a second, you're going to draft him with the second pick in round three. And you look at some of the wide receivers that went after him. The Raiders got two of them, Lim Bowden. And Lim Bowden's a similar type of player to Antonio Gibson. And then Brian Edwards. And I'm, Brian Edwards, especially. I'd much I'm thinking, Brian Edwards. Yeah, I would take Brian Edwards hands down over Antonio Gibson because I don't think Antonio Gibson's a good wide receiver. That's kind of the problem. He's more of a gadget guy. I would try him at running back. I think he's got a better chance to line up at running back. Then you create mismatches from there in the passing game rather than just lining him up at wide receiver, have him go try to beat cornerbacks. I don't think that's the strength of Antonio Gibson's game. And then he becomes a gadget player where you're just handing him fly sweeps or maybe, you know, screen passes. And that's not worth a very high third round pick. So Antonio Gibson went from being a guy that everybody loved to being a guy that got, I think his hype out of control and maybe ended up going too high. And he worries me, especially for what you said that really well with Gibson. I a hundred percent agree that maybe he's a running back, maybe he's a receiver, but he worries me that he's neither. Exactly. Nope. That's exactly well put, but they came back with Antonio Gandy Golden, who uh, could be a high upside player and, and, and maybe hit for them. So overall, an okay draft for them. I wouldn't give them a massive grade, but I think I do like some of the players they selected and it could go great. But then there's also some bus factor there with Charles and off field stuff and with Antonio Gibson. So you could see how it could go south. But of course, that draft is all about the guy they drafted number two overall. And if they get a stud pass rusher there, if you get a guy who's one of the best defensive ends and pass rushers in the league in Chase Young, uh, you're going to take that draft class and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. And two little things I want to mention because we are doing this draft review series. I, if I were to give grades, which is one reason I don't, I don't give the Bengals a great grade for taking Burrow or the Skins a great grade for drafting Young <laughs> yeah. or the Cavs a great you know grade for drafting LeBron. You know, like if my sister can make the pick, I, I don't think, wow, way to go. You hit that one out of the park. You know, uh, you put it in, you factor it in and obviously that player matters a lot. But I also hate whenever you read the grades today and tomorrow, this team got a D. Well, they picked their playoff team that picked 30th in every round. They didn't have a first round pick. You know, like you know what? I mean, not everyone plays <laughs> right. with the same cards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And or or if you trade a bunch of picks now and you get picks later and now next year you have an A and this year you have a D because you didn't have as many picks. So, that, that's what I was kind of getting yeah. at. Is Washington didn't have that early second. I mean, if that would have been Denzel Mims or, you know, anyone, or the best tackle on the board or whatever, we'd be like, boy, the Redskins killed it. And, and instead last year, we're like, wow, they got sweat in the first round too. Like it, these things cost something, you know, not everyone gets the same hands dealt to them on drafting. That is the NFC East. Matt, do you want to, do you want to go through the NFC, then go to AFC, or do you want to stay in the East, go AFC tomorrow and then work our way West? Let's mix it up. Cause I always feel bad for the West people. Cause they have to wait Okay. The seven and eighth day. So 
now we'll just feel bad for the AFC people. We'll just go through the <laughs> NFC and then knock out the AFC. All right. NFC South. Let's go South tomorrow. NFC South. All right. Cool. Uh, right here on Locked on NFL.